Praise the Lord. Today's scripture reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10 to 19. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I would not go in. And understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to the, these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the moon of Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nation around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the noble of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letter came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are with us with abounding love. That you are with us, Lord, in a parent's care, a perfect parent's care. That you are with us, Lord, with a desire to guide us and lead us. That you have a plan for us. You have a future with hope. And we don't know how that's going to look, but we know that part of that is perseverance. Just walking. So, Lord God, as we continue to learn from your word, help us, Lord, to understand how you are working in our lives right now and where you desire to lead us. We thank you, God. We give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. We thank you for grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This week we are continuing to study uh, chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Last week we studied the first part of this chapter, which had uh, the first two trials of four trials in this, uh, in this chapter. This one chapter has four trials. And basically we see for Nehemiah that he just had one trial after another. And so we studied last week the first two. That they firstly, his enemies tried to kidnap him. And then secondly, they tried to kind of discredit him uh, and defame, kind of put, put down his name so that no one would follow him. And through both of those trials, we, we saw that the central theme was perseverance. That through those trials, Nehemiah persevered. And we talked about what perseverance means. Perseverance is doing something despite difficulty and delay in achieving success. 
And so we see through Nehemiah that there was this sense that he just kept going, stumbling, walking, running, on the course, keeping on his way, doing what he felt God was leading him to do, despite, you know, any success in his labors, just constant struggles, and despite constant difficulty. And so we talked also last week about how perseverance is the way that we live out our faith as well. You know that often in our life there are you know, highs and there are lows. But what happens in between those highs and lows is where perseverance comes. Because God desires for us to live a faith that lasts our whole lives. Not just comes and goes, not just here for a little while and gone. But a faith that will last for all our years whatever, you know, and meeting whatever we go through. Challenges, doubts, tragedy, fears, worries, struggles, wandering, sin, all of these things. It is God's desire and God's work in our life. God is doing it right now to develop a faith in us that will last through the years. So often when we think about faith, we think about the highs of faith. Where we, you know, there's, there's assurance we know God's real, we feel God's connection, we feel God's uh, presence in our life. And also, there's the lows in the faith where we're struggling or stagnant or worried or doubting or, or wandering or whatever it is. But really, faith happens between the highs and the lows. That's where the daily journey of living out our faith happens. It's in between. It's in the daily grind of school and friendships and work and family, raising kids, marriages, weekly times at church, involvement in the community. It's in those times, living in the city, struggling with uh, what is right and good, and dealing with uh, kind of what it means to be faithful in the midst of all of that. That's where faith is lived. And that's where perseverance is grown in us. So we see that that's God's desire for us. That if, if you know Jesus Christ here today, the Holy Spirit is developing perseverance in you. He's growing it in you. And the challenge for us is to work with God in that and not work against God in that. To see our faith as not just a collection of highs and lows, but to see our faith as a long journey. A long journey that we need persistence, that we need preparation, and we need intention in keeping going. Paul, the apostle, writes about faith in in this way. He says, I ran the race, I fought the good fight, I kept the faith. And so when Paul describes his his journey of faith, he describes it in that way as uh, the word race is not just a sprint, it's a marathon that he's describing. The word fight here is not like a fist fight, but it's more like a wrestling match. I don't know if any of you uh, have ever wrestled, but I wrestled in high school, and one of the main things about wrestling is perseverance. Like, basically, you're just trying to outlast the other person. Whoever can go for the longest is usually the winner, and I was usually the loser because I didn't have much perseverance. But in both of those ways, he's describing this long journey that takes intention, preparation, and persistence. 
And it's interesting how, like, when we think about, like, if you're training for a marathon, like I was talking to Gene this week about his preparations for his marathons and Ironmans and all the other things he does, and he just gave me this long list of everything he does in a week, which I was pretty, like, overwhelmed about. Seemed like, that's a, a lot of work. But really, to do any of those things, it is a lot of work. If you want to run a race, it's going to take intention, preparation, and persistence. If you want to learn a skill, it's going to take intention, preparation, persistence. If you want to be better at school, if you want to uh, succeed in your work, whatever it is, even if we want to succeed as parents or work, uh, uh, it takes intention, preparation, persistence. In marriages, in friendships, uh, in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, it takes intention, preparation, and persistence. And that's almost a given. I think all of us would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But we often don't apply that to our faith. That our faith also takes intention, preparation, persistence. That's how God is seeking to grow you in your faith. And again, like I said before, God is doing this work already without you. If you come to know Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are a child of God. You are called beloved by the Lord God Almighty, the only opinion of you that matters. And that's amazing. And as someone who loves you, God's grace is sufficient for you right now. The way you are, everything you're going through, what you're not doing and what you're doing, God's grace is sufficient right now. It's flowing towards you. It cannot be given any more. It cannot be given any less right now. And that's the amazing truth of the gospel. Yet, also God is saying, I love you right now and I want to take you somewhere else. I love you right now and I'm going to love you every step of the way. But I want to grow you. Like a flower, I want you to thrive and grow. Even in the midst of rocky soil, even in the midst of storms and trials, I want to grow you. And that's the journey of perseverance. It's not the journey of you know, a couple centimeters or a couple inches, it's the journey of miles. And that's the journey of our life in faith. And so God is doing this work already, but we're called to participate in it. To participate in it. And we see that Nehemiah participated in God's work of perseverance in his life. We see throughout the whole book of Nehemiah that he intentionally sought practices that would lead him to God's presence. He prepared for the trials by grounding himself in God's goodness. He persisted in the midst of trials. And so today we're going to kind of look how we can continue to do that in our life. How we can continue to allow God to cultivate this sense of perseverance in our life. Last week we talked about how God does that in seeking to develop a steadfast focus in our life and calling us to reflect intentionally on our lives and on God. And so if you want to look at that message that's on our podcast. Um, But this week we're going to talk about how God develops perseverance through discernment and also through trusting God's process. So we begin by studying discernment and how God leads us and calls us to develop this, this practice. It's not something I think all of us are born with. There are a few of us, I think, who have natural kind of discernment skills. But I think most of us, it's a, it's a learned skill, something we develop and we learn. 
And so we, hear, we learn here in Nehemiah and also uh, throughout the scripture about how to develop this skill of discernment. In Nehemiah, we see this comes out in the third trial that he experienced. So we read that Nehemiah experienced, uh, there it is, um, he experienced this third trial where after uh, his enemies were trying to get him out of Jerusalem so they could kidnap him, so they could cut him down and, and uh, you know, kind of get him out of Jerusalem somehow, they, they realized they couldn't do that. So they tried a different tactic, and that is to destroy his reputation, to make nobody want to have him as their leader. And so he, they did that first. So we see in our passage that this um, prophet named Shemaiah, who was a respected prophet in Israel, who was someone who spoke for God, who gave God's messages, he invited Nehemiah to come over. And Nehemiah most likely wanted to talk to him about all that was going on, all the trials he was facing, but instead Shemaiah says this. He says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now just imagine, you know, hearing that after all the work you've done, you think you're safe within the walls, and then suddenly this prophet, this person you respect, knows what God is saying, tells you these people are coming to kill you. I'm sure any of us would go, yeah, I want to get to the most, you know, fortified, safe place in the whole area. And for Nehemiah, that was the temple. That was the safest place anywhere. Big, strong doors, you know, uh, very secure. No one could get in. But Nehemiah right away sensed there was something wrong with this. That something was not right. And we read that he, uh, he said this. I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired so that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So here we see that Nehemiah got this, this idea of like, Shemaiah shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be acting in this way. And he realized later that he had been paid off by his enemies to get him in a bad situation. And the bad situation was that he would go into the temple and close the doors. Now we might wonder, like, why is that a sin? You know, you could come into the church and close the doors, and I don't think anyone would say, yep, you're sinning, yep, right away. But for Nehemiah, you have to remember that the ancient temple was the place in all the world where God lived. If God lived anywhere in the world, he lived in this one building in the middle of Jerusalem, the temple. And it was such a holy place that only a few people could go in there. Not everybody could access God. Now we have access to God through Jesus Christ. We are the temple. But back then there was just this building that God lived and only the priests could go in there and tell God what the people wanted and to intercede for the people in their sins. And if just a regular person would go in there, they'd be sinning. They'd be going against the law and God's command. So that's what was happening here. That Shemaiah was trying to trick Nehemiah to go in there so that he would then kind of be seen as someone who doesn't care about God's law. Basically, it was kind of a 
political smear campaign, trying to get him, discredit him, so that he could not stay the leader of Jerusalem. And we see that in the midst of this, what he did was, we read that he understood and saw that God had not sent him. The word understand and saw in, Greek, in a Hebrew is actually one word. It means to perceive, to discern, and to recognize. So that's what Nehemiah was doing here. As he was presented with this issue, people are trying to kill me. There's this big issue happening. This prophet has told me this stuff. He had to discern. He had to go through a process of discerning and going, what is right? What is true? And what, uh, what way should I go? And when we think about persevering in our lives, there are many times that we are called to learn this practice of discernment. About thinking what is right, what is true, and what way, I, what way should I go? I mean, there are many situations in our lives that are not going to be black and white. As you already know, most of the situations that you are facing don't have an easy answer. And we struggle with that answer. And, so, and often we are faced with personal decisions about which is the right thing to do. My friends ask me to do something. Is that the right thing to do? You know, I, I have this financial issue. Is, is solving it that way the right thing, way to do? It might get it done, but is it right? There are many situations where called to go, what is right? Not just what can I do, but what is the right thing to do? And the right answer is just not plain sometimes. So instead of going, you know, what is the right thing for me to do about every single issue out there? We see in Nehemiah that discernment does not start just with what is generally right, right for everybody and everything in the world. It starts with me. What should I do? What is, what is, my, what is my God telling me to do? It always, whenever we have to discern, it doesn't always just start with what should you do? Because it's easier to say like what should everybody else do than to kind of think about what we should do. But we always see that. It always starts with us. What should we do? What's our response? And we see this in Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, responds to Shemaiah and says, uh, should I, uh, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? So basically he tells Shemaiah, should such a person as me Go into the temple like that and do what you asked me to do? And we could say, well, that's kind of a funny way to, you know, <laughs> to respond to somebody. But really what he's saying is, he's saying, can I do this and be consistent with my values and beliefs? Can I do this and be consistent with the God that I know and love? That's the question he's asking himself. And in doing this, he's basically doing what, what John says is, He's, uh, he's testing the spirits. John says this, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. The word spirit here means wind or breath. And it's the same word as the Holy Spirit. So the spirit here means any influence or uh, any kind of message you get. Any kind of influence on your life, any voices that are speaking to you, and where they lead you to, they, do they lead you to life, or do they lead you to death or somewhere else? 
And so that's what Nehemiah had to kind of ask is, what, what spirit is this leading me to? Is this leading me to life or to death? And he answers that question by going, what kind of person am I? What values do I have? What, what should I do as a person of value and a person of God? And that's where we start when discerning as well. We start by asking the same questions. What kind of person am I? What kind of person is God making me to be? What do I want and what do I need? What are my values? What do I believe? And what is God and Jesus Christ beckoning me towards? Next time you are stuck with not knowing what to do, whether in a relationship, in your family, in, uh, you know, in school, in work, with your kids, whatever it might be, ask some of those questions and see what happens. You will probably not get the answer to your question. You'll probably not get like, oh, I should do this. This is what I should do. But you'll have a different sense of who you are in the midst of it, which will lead you to a different response. When we begin to ask those questions, it leads us to a different sense of who we are. And God uses those things to change the way we respond. For example, you know, um, a while back I was, I was uh, kind of stuck in this uh, issue with my worship team. I was a worship leader at that time. And my worship team, they had, a few of them just started kind of getting, they were just kind of standoffish towards me. They weren't as enthusiastic about what I was doing. They weren't resisting me, but they also didn't seem very excited about what's going on. And so I asked them, is there anything going on? Is there anything happening? And they said to me, well, the elder's wife, one of the elder's wives said that you don't care about us, that you don't support us that you don't want us to lead. And I was just kind of taken aback by that because I did not say that in any way, shape, or form to this person or to anyone else. Of course I want them to lead. Of course I want to equip them. Of course I care about them. But they had gotten this message and they believed this falsehood about me that it was hard to change their mind about because they believed this person. So I talked to the person. They said they never said it. You know, I, t- I spent a lot of t- it took a lot of time with the leaders to kind of heal those wounds. And in the midst of that, the questions for me were, what kind of person am I? What kind of person is God calling to be? Because I, I knew my, my instincts and what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do is do the same thing back to the person who hurt me. I wanted to hurt them like they hurt me. I wanted to gossip about them, to say bad things about them. Every time the issue was brought up, I wanted to say, oh, yeah, that person, they're da 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 But I felt like at that moment, which not in every moment in my life, but in that moment, God led me to discernment. And the question kept going back in my mind of who am I? I'm a child of God. Who is my Lord? Jesus Christ is my Lord. Who do I follow? I follow God in Jesus Christ. So then if those questions are true about me, then what is my response to be? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, forgive, you know, and forgive and forgive. So in a sense then, just that, that small moment of discernment led me to a whole different response about what I was called to do. And it was not easy because it went against every sense of justice that I had. I wanted to fight back like someone had, you know, I wanted to hit back when someone hit me. 
But at least in that moment, not in every moment (laughs) in my life, but in that moment, there was a moment of going, wait, stop, discern. And those moments can come in just an instant for us, and they can come in, uh, in a long term of needing weeks or days or months to kind of work through these things. But we're simply called to allow God to let those questions percolate. And if we fail, which we will, which I have, I've not always asked those questions, just to go back and later go, okay, God, who am I? Who are you calling me to be? What, what is your word saying I should do? And then often that may mean you have to say forgiveness. You have to ask forgiveness. You have to go back and reconcile in some way or another. So that's the first kind of uh, response that leads us to um, perseverance, which is discernment. And the second kind of connects with that, and it has to do with trusting God's process. In the fourth trial in this passage, we read that they couldn't get him by tricking him to go in the temple, so they do it, they try to get him in another way, and that is by betraying him. We read that in the end, in those days, there were nobles of Judah um, sent many uh, letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters uh, came to them. And also they spoke of good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So what we have going on here is that they couldn't get Nehemiah to leave Jerusalem. They couldn't discredit him. So now Tobiah, who was this leader of the Ammonites, started making allegiances with all these nobles. He started bribing them. He made oaths for them so that they would actually follow him and not Nehemiah. And if any of you have ever felt that kind of sting of betrayal, you know that now Nehemiah, after working with these people, suffering with them, struggling with them, now the leaders are betraying him. And they're going to work with their enemies. They must have forgot that just a few weeks earlier, Tobiah had come with an army to kill all of them. But now they're like, oh, Tobiah's so great. Tobiah's awesome. He's, he's, he's doing good for us. He's really a good guy. That was just a mistake. Everything in the past was suddenly kind of fake news. And all of a sudden, you know, he's this great guy when he was such a bad guy. And in the middle, we see that Nehemiah was saying that they did this to make me afraid. Nehemiah uses this phrase, make me afraid, make us afraid, three times in this passage. And over and over again, this word means to be intimidated, to be, uh, made, to be in fear of something. And that's what Nehemiah's uh, kind of enemies wanted to do. They wanted to intimidate him, to make him fear them, to make him uh, back down from his work. But in the middle of it, we see that Nehemiah said that uh, after that, he said, God, strengthen my hands. The goal uh, that Nehemiah says here in verse 9 is that they wanted to frighten us thinking that their hands would be, our hands would be too weak for the work and it would not be done. So that was the goal of their, their frightening of them, so that they wouldn't get the work done. They wouldn't do what they're supposed to do. And isn't that true of fear in all of our lives? That when we get intimidated by someone, when we're afraid of doing something, we just stop. 
We don't get the work done. We don't go forward. If anything, we go backwards. Fear overwhelms us, and it can do that all the time, whether it's a personal fear I'm never going to succeed. I'm never going to be enough. No one's going to ever like me. You know, I'm never going to be worthwhile. It can just stop us. It can lead us to a really dark place. Or it could be fear of others. Oh, this person's going to hurt me. They're not going to, they're going to win. They're going to, you know, uh, succeed at what they're doing. No matter what it is, fear has that ability to stop us. Yet we see here that Nehemiah, instead of being stopped by fear, turned to the other alternative, which is faith. He said, Lord, strengthen my hands. Now, for all of us, we really have those two choices when we're hit by by things that can intimidate us, things that can make us be afraid. We can respond in fear, or we can respond in faith. Fear makes us stop. Fear makes us make excuses. Fear makes us not go forward. Faith gives us courage. Faith gives us hope. Faith gives us perspective in the middle of what we're going through. And as we seek to persevere through all that life gives us, we're called simply to kind of reflect on what does it mean for us to not live in fear but live in faith. Because there are a thousand reasons every day for us to live in fear. There are going to be over and over again reasons for us to be afraid. And being, living in faith does not mean we're naive. (laughs) It does not mean we're foolhardy and not taking into account the things that are making us afraid. But it means that we just keep walking. We keep going because we know God is with us. And it changes our perspective. This happened to me a while back uh, when I had kind of the worst day I've had in years. I can't even remember a, a worst day I've had in a long time. Started in the morning with an argument with Catherine, then Eben had a tantrum on the way to school, and then, you know, there was like a hundred things that were stresses and frustrations all day, and then I went to run an errand in the afternoon, and I came back, and my car was booted, which if you never have that, it's a big metal giant thing, can't move, you have to go to the towing place, pay them a hundred bucks, come back, wait for them to take it off just a huge hassle. And I remember just wanting to scream. And I think I did scream at one point, actually, just on the road, just like, ah! But after kind of calming down, I had this thought. And the thought was, nothing has changed. That was just a thought that kind of came into my mind. I don't know why. I like to think maybe it was God kind of helping me at that moment. But it was just this moment of going, nothing has changed. Nothing changed. This whole terrible day, nothing has changed. Everything that's important is still exactly the way it's supposed to be. God's love has not changed toward me in that moment. My salvation, my status with God had not changed in that moment. No matter what was going wrong, I still have, uh, I was still a child of God. I was still um, an ambassador of God's love, a citizen of God's kingdom. Everything that is ultimately important had not changed. I was still delivered from sin and death and the devil. I still had grace showered upon me. I was still new and different because of who God is and what God has done for me. 
And even though I still had to deal with, you know, going to the towing place, dealing with all that stuff, I had a different perspective. Suddenly I knew God was with me. That maybe even God was going to use this terrible day to strengthen me and to guide me and to lead me. And that really is the perspective of perseverance. We see it that God is, no matter what you're going through, nothing's changed. No matter your deepest trouble, your deepest fear, like we talked about last week, the thing you wish most didn't happen, nothing has changed. And that's just the perspective we get from the Gospels. That in Jesus Christ, nothing changes. God does not change, though you change. God's love does not change, no matter what. And once we begin to see that, it gives us a different perspective on our trials. In James, he says, Let perseverance finish its work in you, so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking for anything. Notice the wording of that. It does not say, Persevere till the end, and you will be mature and complete. It does not say that. It said, let perseverance finish its work in you. This is not a work you're doing. This is not something we can complete. If we go through life going, every day I am not complete, I am not good enough, I am not worthy unless I please God in every single way, if I please everybody around me in every single way, if I'm good enough in every single way, all that leads to in our lives is destruction. It will lead you to hating yourself. It will lead you to never feeling good enough. And it will also lead you to never understanding grace because you can never accept what God gives you freely. But perseverance comes when we simply know that God is working. Let perseverance have its way in you. Finish its work in you. God is already working his work in you. Just let him. Let God do it. And we let God do it by simply walking the walk, asking those questions of discernment, trusting God's process, and we see that there's a goal. The goal is that God is completing his work in you. He's making you mature. He's making you not lack for anything. All of it through it. We don't see that happening at the moment. We don't see it happening at the time. But that's what God is doing in the midst of it. And so we're challenged, I think, from uh, these passages just to give God the time to do that work in us. God is doing it in us already. Allow him to work in us. I was reminded of this just uh, this week. I was at the beach down in Ocean City, New Jersey, where we go uh, often. And as I've gotten into this kind of habit of taking walks on the beach at night. And I just love it because no matter what's going on, it's just calm. You know, it's beautiful, waves crashing, moon. Uh, it's just a, a kind of a beautiful place to be. But one thing about Ocean City, if you've ever been down there, uh, just about 10 minutes, or not even 10 minutes, 10 feet from that scene is another scene. And that's like thousands of people on the boardwalk walking along. There's rides, there's noise. And this is happening just a few feet from the beach. There's the boardwalk, and then there's the beach. But when you're on the beach, you don't hear that happening. You just feel this calm, waves lapping. It's just beautiful. But just a few feet away is the busyness and, you know, of the boardwalk. 
And as I was walking along on Friday, I was just thinking about how this is like our faith. That our faith is often like the boardwalk. It's busy. There's, where there's noise and distractions everywhere and temptations. There's constantly things that we can look at and see. And in the midst of that, we're not called always just to get away from that, even though that's good sometimes. But often we're just called to take a few steps away. Just a few steps away. That's all. Just to take a few steps back. That's where discernment happens. That's where perseverance happens in our lives. In the midst of the busyness of our lives, just taking a few steps back. It might mean just taking a walk. It might be, mean putting your noise-canceling headphones on to, to mute the noise around you. It might mean just sitting at a park. It might mean opening your Bible and, and reading and praying for a little bit. But just taking those moments just to get a new perspective. Just to see God's perspective in the midst of everything that's going on. That's where perseverance happens. So we're just challenged is to take a few steps back. Just take a few steps back to discern. Who are you? What are your values? What, are your char- what is your character? Where is God challenging you to go? Who are you because Jesus has saved you? And then also just simply to trust that God is with you. He does not change, even though you change. And he's with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. So I encourage you this week, in the midst of whatever you're going through, just seek to take a couple steps back. Not to get all the way out. The boardwalk is always there in our lives with its noise and distractions. But just to take a second to go out on the beach. Take a walk. Listen to God. And discern and reflect. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are always beckoning us. Not necessarily to get away from it all, though that is good to happen sometimes, but just simply to take a few steps back. And we know that that is the the way that we persevere. We persevere and stay faithful just by just taking a few steps back regularly, daily, just to discern, just to trust and remember, to stay focused, to reflect. Lord God, as we go from this place, Lord, help us, Lord, to just know what that means for us in the middle of our situation, that valley of in-between. To know what it means for us just to reflect and just to, to take those steps back and how we can do that. Lord God, we thank you that as we think about perseverance, we come to your table to remember your perseverance for our sake, that you suffered on the cross and you walked to the cross even though you didn't want to at moments and you said, please take this cup away from me. You persisted. You persevered for our sakes. And we know in your power and in your grace, we can also persevere. Thank you, Lord God. We give you all the praise and glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Today, this is uh, the table of our perseverance that does not come by our own works, but by the work of Christ, who has given his life for you.